Hey, Sanctus Church, good morning. So glad that you're joining us wherever you might be at one of our locations, maybe online on our online site. Maybe you're watching this later. No matter who you are, where you're from, no matter your background, you're most welcome. Well, welcome to this new series too that's going to be connected to Easter, go through Easter, but actually is also beyond Easter. This is a really intriguing and helpful series for all of us. Some Christians seem to be afraid of doubt and afraid of those that do doubt. Some people don't want to talk about it, they suppress it, they refuse to think about it, they think they're insulting God or calling His will into question, and they're afraid if they go to that place, maybe they'll never find Jesus again, and they'll never get back to the Christian faith again. Others are afraid of hurting other people's faith, especially if they have a younger faith. On the other hand, in this cultural moment, many now see skepticism and and doubt and questioning as the critical thing. They love it. Many people view the questioning of everything as the needed cure to all the problems and all the wrongs in church and in, in, in the world. Better to burn tons of it to the ground. But then the question is, but what are you going to replace it with? And then much of the time, there's just silence. No, no, no matter where you're at, we're at a tipping point. There is no doubt about it. So, so welcome to a series that is, is meant to help all of us journey well to walk well, no matter where you might be, have been, or where you're going. But see, to journey well, we all need signposts, markers, because yes, the journey matters, and how we do the journey matters also, but the destination is also incredibly important. So as we begin, let's all be reminded of this. The great truth that I love about God and about the scriptures is it doesn't gloss over human frailty or shattered expectations or stumbling or falling or questioning in general. The Bible is full of uh, the faithful, you could call it, doubting. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Esther, David, Jeremiah, Peter, the list goes on and on. All great leaders and shakers are frail and torn between faith and doubt, question and belief, seen and unseen. It was Martin Luther, the great reformer, that simply said Christians are righteous and sinful at the same time. And that, of course, brings up the difficulty that we're facing. What might look like rebellion might actually just be pain or despair or a mix of all three. Many of us are wandering and we're wondering because of broken expectations. Sometimes it is rebellion and pride. Sometimes it's something else. So as we get going, I want to stop us and I want to define some terms. Alistair McGrath helped us when he took some time to tell us the difference between unbelief, skepticism, and doubt and and how they affect a faith conversation. Unbelief, he writes, is the decision not to have faith in God at all. Unbelief is an act of the will rather than a difficulty of understanding. Skepticism is the decision to doubt everything deliberately as a matter of principle. Now, doubt means asking questions or even voicing uncertainties from a standpoint of faith. You believe, but you've got difficulties with that faith or you're worried about it in some way. Faith and doubt aren't mutually exclusive, but faith and unbelief, oh no, they are. Now, there's another word that's been introduced everywhere these days called deconstruction. And it actually blurs a lot of the lines that we just talked about. Uh, A leader named Russell Moore in the United States just recently wrote an article on this in Christianity Today. And I love this little summary when he said, with all this talk about deconstruction, one problem is that very few people mean precisely the same thing when they use that word. (laughs) 
For some people, deconstruction means losing their faith altogether. Atheist, agnostic, spiritual, but not religious. For others, deconstruction means still believing in Jesus, but struggling with how religious institutions like churches have failed. And there are others for whom deconstruction means maintaining an ongoing commitment to Orthodox Christianity, as well as a robust, robust commitment to the church, but without the cultural political baggage associated with the label evangelicalism. So we've got unbelief, and we've got skepticism, and we've got doubt, and we've got deconstruction, and then many others of you watching are just fine in the Christian faith. So as you continue to walk, or as you try to find your way back, or as you consider leaving, or as you're trying to understand all of this for the first time, the best place for all of us, no matter where you find yourself in those categories, to begin this journey is in a moment of great testing, a great undoing. Uh, it's Jesus' own temptation. So before church and before expectations, before cultural expressions, we need to get back to the rock of this whole movement to see if it's rock or sand. It reads like this in Mark 1, 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. So the first leg of our journey starts at Jesus' baptism, and I'll connect all this later. But if you grew up in church, have you ever wondered why Jesus asked to be baptized? It reads like this in Matthew 3.14. John, his cousin, tried to deter him, saying, I don't need to, I need to be baptized by you, you, and you come to me. There's an embarrassment that Jesus would want or need baptism. Why does Jesus want, want or need this in the first place? I mean, he's God in flesh, right? He's perfect. Does he have to repent? Well, at this moment, some light breaks in. Jesus wants to show us, wants to be connected to us, wants us to understand that as fallen human beings, he wants to show solidarity with us. It is the first glimpse of the Christian gospel, good news, that says that though Jesus was perfect, he has come to take on our sin and alter us through God's power. This is what Paul would later write in 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Stop, pause, and reflect. Do you, or have you ever believed that Jesus was that good? That he'd want to enter into your story? Do you actually believe that someone actually does need to break in from the outside to make things right on the inside? Do you even believe that you need to be saved anymore? Do you even believe in sin anymore? And Jesus, it seems, sure does, but do you? Well, let's keep going. The beginning of this series gets a little closer to home. It says in Matthew 3.16, Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. So Jesus himself at his baptism is given the Holy Spirit for two reasons. The first was to empower him. This is what we talk around Sanctus all the time, connected to spiritual gifts and spiritual disciplines. It's what we call convergence. Jesus is Savior, Lord, and our model. But for our journey in this series, it's, it, it matters in the other way. I mean, listen to what God says. A voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You're my son. You're, you're, you have relationship with me. Everything's solid and established. We're all good. Right after the declaration that everything is good, relationship, family, connection, God moves Jesus by his Holy Spirit into the place of doubt, into the place where Jesus would be exposed to unbelief, skepticism, the invitation almost to deconstruct to the point of no return. In, the moment, in that moment, 
everything is on the line. And I just want to point out that God orchestrated it. Matthew 4.1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, 40 means so much, as we've explored in our other series. But for today, I just want to... I want you to focus on this. I want you to focus on the wanting and the, and the waiting and the lingering and the uncomfortable. There is time where all this doubt is worked out. I would say this is our culture right now. We're exhausted, hungry, tired, COVID, Russia, Ukraine, online scrolling, politics, unmet expectation with people, with leaders, with injustice, with the church. We're all exhausted. We're all vulnerable. Some used to say to me all the time, never make a decision when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt you're about to make a major mistake. Well, Satan comes into this wilderness moment. Jesus gaunt, tired, cracked lips, parched tongue, swollen, smelling like exposure, 40 days, vulnerable. And like the first Adam, Satan would use the same three vehicles of temptation. And the question is, would the second Adam give in like the first? See, the temptations have not changed from the beginning. And as we're all going to see, you need to be looking for these temptations as you're trying to do this journey and see where you're going to end up. And as you do this journey, these temptations are going to feel and seem right to you, to us. Genesis 3.6, Satan tempts Eve then Adam and says, oh, eat the forbidden fruit. Then it reads like this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. Oh, here are the three temptations. The first one, good for food, sensual gratification, pleasure. The second, right, pleasing to the eye, lust of the eye, source of greed and coveting and envy, to be captured by the outward, the visible, the splendor, to live and die by what people say. Gaining wisdom, illegal knowledge, pride and power. You will be like God, Satan said to Adam and Eve. You need to be like God. You need to take the place of God. You have to redefine God. You have to live without God. You should have the final say on things, not God. Well, it reads like this in Matthew 4, 3. The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're God's Son. Oh, did you catch it? Are, are you sure that you're God's son? I mean, you're positive that you're loved by God and you're already in relationship with him. Are, are you sure? Just, just asking, just asking. Oh, by the way, if you're on this faith journey in any form right now and you're questioning if you are God's child, even, Jesus, even though Jesus has been involved in your life, you probably already know who's in the room. just want to say that to you. Well, Satan continues, oh, 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 you are God's child. You're God's son. Oh, okay, great. Well, you know, Jesus, that bread sure smells good, and the bread would sure be tasty right now, and bread is good for food, and, and you're so hungry, and it's human, and you're human, and you need food, so come on, it's okay. It's not, it's not a sin to be hungry, and, and Jesus, like, I know you're going to do incredible things, and you're probably going to do all these miracles on earth, including doing crazy things with bread, so, you know, just give in. Sensual gratification, putting pleasure over what God has asked. Oh, there's more. <laughs> See, Satan was trying to get Jesus to believe that God wanted him to sin. 
Oh, see, you're being faithful, Jesus. You're being what Israel was supposed to be. Remember, Jesus, your ancestors, they were in the wilderness like you, and they were hungry like you, and, and they were wandering like in this very environment, and, and God gave them manna. They just picked it up. They picked bread up off the ground like stones, and all you're doing is picking up manna too, and the manna was okay, and this is okay, and it's okay now. Just, just pick up the rocks, and they're going to become manna in this moment in your hand. You know God wants you to do this, right? Ready? So your physical and emotional desires must be more important than what God has asked, promised, or commanded. Jesus, you got rights. And your story and your current pain, that has to define reality and God, nothing else. And it would seem maybe that God hasn't provided, now I'm bringing it up, and so maybe you need to take control of Jesus and you need to provide because uh, he doesn't seem to give the manna, so you make it. See, Satan's goal was to drive a wedge between God the Father and God the Son. He uses bread, hunger, sensual gratification. He wants Jesus to be alone and self-sufficient. You don't need God's power or help. You just do it. Jesus responds, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's probably one of the most famous passages in the whole Bible. Lots of non-Christians would know that. But have you ever read the quote where Jesus gets that from? It is so powerful, so helpful, as we're all trying to journey. So just let God's word wash over you. It comes from Deuteronomy 8, verse 1. Be careful. This is God speaking to his people, right, at the end of their wilderness wandering. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today, so you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord has promised on oath to your ancestors. Oh, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years? to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Oh, he humbled you and caused you to be hungry and then fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, you're closed and wear out. And your feet did not swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. In other words, here's the point. Self-reliance or God's work. Another way, obedience or gratification. Only after the testing did the people of God see it was God's good timing and fear and pain and personal story did not change the will of God or the person of God. So Jesus waits. Notice this. And he lays down what he thinks, what he needs, what he wants, what he deserves, or what he desires. Simply put, Jesus' trust in the Father is under attack. Well, that didn't work so well for Satan. So round two, the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. Now, Satan, through vision, or literally took Jesus to the holy city, the temple. Now, now watch this. This is brilliant. Satan takes Jesus to the place where God's presence is found. He takes him to the place of guaranteed encounter. He takes him to the most religious place on earth. The highest point of the temple at this point is like 180 feet. And he'd be able, at that moment, Jesus would be able to see all of Jerusalem and the whole temple, God's city, God's temple, the whole bit. And Satan says, if you are, there it is again, the son of God, throw yourself down for the Old Testament it's written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so you'll not strike your foot against a stone. The devil says to Jesus, are you going to quote scripture to me? Fine, I'm going to quote scripture back at you. Psalm 91, Jesus, you and I both know it so well. 
And, and listen, I'm going to quote the Bible to you in the temple. And Jesus, you know this is supposed to happen, right? I just, just give in. Now, most of us, if not all of us, wouldn't know this, but at the time of Jesus, rabbis were regularly teaching in the synagogues this, when the king, the Messiah, reveals himself, he will come and stand on the roof of the temple. So Satan says to Jesus, the Bible says you can do this, and all the pastors and all the people are waiting for someone to show up on the roof of the temple. So Jesus, by your actions, you need to show, you need to prove who you are. See, Satan is still following the pattern of Adam and Eve. So in the most religious environment, with the Bible open, Satan invites Jesus to give into the lust of the eyes, the source of greed, desire, coveting, to be captured by the outward, the splendor of the visible, just, hey, I'm here. Henry Nouwen, the great Catholic thinker, wrote that this temptation was a call to be spectacular, to build a platform and popularity, to the call to have great applause. Oh, the people are going to love you, Jesus. What a show you're going to put on. Everyone needs to be loved and liked, Jesus, just like you. And you're going to be liked by thousands. I mean, oh my goodness. Facebook, uh, retweeted, Instagram, talked about every podcast. You deserve the show, Jesus. You're, you are the show, Jesus. Actually, God wants you to be the center of attention, not him. You need to be loved and valued. This is right. Jesus answered, it's also written in the Old Testament, do, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Oh, we're back at more rocks and more testing. Uh, this exact quote from Jesus comes from the story of God's people and Moses again. But a different moment, over a million people are wandering in the desert. There is no water. And the people of God are saying, well, where is God? <laughs> and does he even care? And I thought he said he would be with us. And so... All I got is stones and rocks around here, and we're all going to die of thirst. Exodus 17, 1. There was no water for the people to drink. They quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord God to the test? Then it says later in verse 5, The Lord answered Moses, I will stand there before you at the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. And he called the place Mansa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled because they tested the Lord saying, Is God really among us or not? Oh, oh just catch this. Is God really with us? Is God really for us? All about one thing, everyone, expectations. Where is God? Can I trust God's leaders? This is not how this was supposed to go down. Are you joking me? I don't think God's around anymore. So, man, we got to take control here. Round three. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. Remember, the devil has authority over the whole world owns them. I mean, 1 John 5, 19, we know we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. All the color, Jesus, and all the military power and all the food and all the sexual pleasure and all the treasure and all the physical reality, I own it. And you can have it. Oh, the goal was to get Jesus to be king, but, but, but be king the wrong way. This is an attack on his identity by asking Jesus to bypass his call to get the thing God had already promised. See, oh, this, this is so insidious. 
God has already promised Jesus the whole world. Remember when we were in the book of Revelation together, every other passage, it seems, we, we went back to Psalm 2. Well, we're back at Psalm 2 again. What had God promised the Messiah, Jesus, all the way back in the Psalms? Psalm 2-7, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. I've become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. So the goal here, as many have observed, is to give the earth and the nations and all authority in heaven and earth to Jesus, everyone lean in, without the mission of the cross and without the establishment of us, the church. In other words, you can be king, you can be powerful, you can be in control, you need to be self-made, not reliant, and here's the big one. You don't need to suffer to follow God's will. Or his commands. Let me just say this again. Satan's like, you don't need to give up anything. You don't need to suffer. There's an easier way, a more fulfilling way, and you still get what you deserve. All this I'll give you if you just bow down and worship me. By the way, worship is when something or someone forms your thinking forms your life, forms your views, forms your thoughts, forms your activities. And notice the shift of your focus is just don't look at God anymore. Don't look at the God of your history anymore. The God of your family, if you come from a fa family of faith, the God revealed fully in Jesus, just, sent, just shift your center to anything else but him. Jesus said, away from me, Satan. For it is written in the Old Testament, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. How you deal with rocks matter. Illegal bread or life-giving water. Uh, we need both bread and water to live, but how we get them can lead to life or death. So here are the first group of thoughts to help all of us journey well. Here are some signposts to see how you're doing and also how you can help other people journey well. One, I want you to focus on the 40 days. In other words, it's okay to have some time. This conversation about deconstruction and doubt and skepticism, it takes time. It's not simple. It's not just and we're done. It's not going to the drive-thru and I get my meal in 3.5 seconds. No, no, no. 40 days is a long time. It's a while. But I do want to remind everyone listening to me today that it was set for 40 days. There's a beginning. Oh, and there's an end. In other words, the journey isn't just the most important thing. Like so many people are podcasting and blogging these days. No, no. The destination matters even more. So time is good. And if you got people in your circles going through this, great. Time is good, but not forever. Second, and what I'm about to say is like really, really, really important. Do you notice how Jesus used and thought about the Old Testament? So many interactions I have with people who are intellectually and emotionally wrestling all this down. I begin to see them move from doubt to skepticism to unbelief and deconstruction somewhere in the middle when they begin to distrust the actual Bible. But I want you to notice something. Look at how Jesus handled the Bible. 
even if he is close to what he claimed, let alone is who he actually claimed, then how he views the Bible should actually be how you view the Bible. G.I. Packer made two simple summaries that I think bring this home real quick. Jesus Christ, the Son of God incarnate, who claimed divine authority for all he did and taught, both confirmed the absolute authority of the Old Testament for others and submitted to it unreservedly himself. I want you to know that word submitted, lived under, not above. Here's the other one. As well as enduring the, endorsing the principle of biblical authority and his application to others, the Lord submitted to it himself. He read the Old Testament as the word of his father. So many people I hear right now in church circles or try, say, oh, I love Jesus and I love what he said, but the rest of the Bible, eh. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't get to have your cake and eat it too. You don't actually get to say, I like Jesus and actually not begin to actually function like he did when it comes to the scriptures. How's your trust in the Bible these days? You live above it and think you've got it, or is it above you and it's defining you? Do you treat the Bible like Jesus did or not? Third, a ton of us are in a wilderness-like moment for a million reasons. And I just want to remind you that God's there, you're there, but have you thought that maybe Satan's there too? I love when one person said these words, you know, a lot of us need to reframe the journey conversation. Paradoxically, the same set of circumstances can be taken either as a test or temptation, depending on your response. In other words, this journey that many of you are on becomes temptation or test, depending on how you handle it. I want to give you just two verses to sort of anchor you. Two groups of verses on this. Number one is James 1-2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops, oh, here's a word not found very much in our culture, perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. This skepticism, doubt, deconstruction thing we're seeing in churches, outside of churches, many people in our own lives, maybe you yourself, this can become the absolute critical moment where you learn perseverance and then maturity if you journey well. But also, there's a deeper thing going on. This is rarely preached on, but this is, this is happening. 2 Peter 1.10 Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. To know that you know that you are God's child. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Okay. Some helpful thoughts. The 40 days. How did Jesus use the Bible? Is this test or temptation? But here's the last group of thoughts I want to give you. As you process Jesus and church and faith and the Bible and all of it, I want everyone to slow down and I would like you to actually reflect in your thinking, in your feelings, in your processing, not only the questions of time and not only the claims of Jesus and the Bible, but do you actually begin to see the temptations of Satan starting to form 
root and change your view of God, Jesus, church, scripture, life, fill in the blank. I just want to give you these three thoughts. Sensual gratification. Have you started to doubt or disbelieve or say no to God or church or all because something in your life or your family's life or in culture that is pleasure-based actually you believe you have the right to participate in? This is okay because I feel this. This is okay because this is my story. This is okay because I am this. This is my authentic self. You don't understand... If your physical or emotional desires become more important than what God has asked, promised, or commanded, then you probably need to acknowledge that what you're feeling is real, but might not be truth. It might be temptation. If you start saying things, but I have rights, and my story, and my current pain must define reality in God, and He hasn't provided, so you need to provide, and He's not shown up, but just watch out. What about the lust of the eyes? Have any of your doubts or questions or skepticism about faith or Jesus or scripture or Christian community, are they connected to God has not given you or allowed you to do what you think you need or called to do? Has faith or God gotten in the way of how you perceived you need to be valued or loved? Your goals or platform or popularity or expression of some freedom? You deserve the show or God wants you to be at the center of something, not Him? Even good things? Good chance. Something's going on there. Remember, in this temptation, Satan quotes Scripture. What about illegal knowledge? Have you started to act like God? I'm going to decide what's true and not true. If you begin to think, again, that your story, your pain, your history, your education, your political views, your social views, your voice has more authority than what God has expressed in Jesus and His Word, that is illegal knowledge. And here's the deeper thing. Have you started to believe that you don't need to suffer to follow God? Well then, there's even a deeper chance that your journey is being sidetracked. Oh, you might be heading towards the right thing, but maybe in the wrong path. I know there's so much for us to think through, and that's why we're going to take actually quite a long time, even through the Easter story, to really walk through how to do this well. How do we deal with uncertainty and how do we deal with unbelief and skepticism and doubt and deconstruction either in our life or our friend's life or our church's life, but we've got to journey and journey well. We're going to need some guardrails. So here's the first group. How do you handle the scriptures? Who do you think Jesus is? Are you okay with the timeline? Remember, some of you want to push your friends and just sort it all out or your kids. No, no. Time. But for you who are taking the time, you know there's a destination, not just the journey, right? And, and oh, oh, by the way, when's the last time you really asked where the serpent showed up with Adam and Eve? And then the serpent showed up, with, say, showed up with Jesus. And now maybe the serpent has shown up in this wilderness period in your life and is trying to take you off track. So a simple prayer as we end round one. God of heaven and earth, found in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, you know our doubts. 
You know our skepticism. You know our deconstruction. You know our questions. You know our pain and our and our joys. And some of us are just fine, and others of us don't even know what this is about. Others of us, oh my goodness, this is exactly where I'm at. God, you even know our unbelief. Wherever we're at, Father and Son, send the Holy Spirit to light the way, step by step, so I, so we actually end up journeying well and either for the first time encountering you, encountering you again, but our real prayer is guard us from shipwreck and guard us for something that appears right that is not right. Lead us personally in our whole church. This is what we ask in Jesus' name. We all said, Amen.